Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat in the room. How we doing, church? How we doing? Niwad Campus, how you doing? Good to see everybody. Hey, we're glad that you're here again to all the moms in the room. Happy Mother's Day. You guys are the best, okay? You are the best. Come on. There you go. I mean, if you're not clapping for your mom, you got a problem, you know? So anyways, we're moms, we're, we're glad that you are, are here. Did you know that today... Um, I, I was reading this study this week, somewhere between like 30 and 40%, uh, 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 there, there's more uh, phone calls today than like in any other day in the whole year. You know what I'm saying? And so globally, everybody's getting on the phone. So if you haven't called your mom yet, just get up and walk right out, okay? Go out into the lobby, give your mom a call, let her know what's up. You love her, and you're so thankful for her. And um, also there's another study that um, they asked moms, they said, hey, on Mother's Day, what's the number one thing that you want? What's the number one thing you want? You know what it is? It's not money. I heard someone say money. No, not money. They, 60% of moms said on Mother's Day, this kind of surprised me. On Mother's Day, 60% of moms said they just want to spend time with the people they love. It's not like that on Father's Day, is it? We're like, <laughs> get us a boat. How about a boat? You know, so anyways, moms, you're just better, right? You're just better than us. We love you. And uh and I hope today you, you know that, all right? I hope you know that. Hey, a couple of quick things before we jump into the message. First, um, if you are new around here, if you've been checking out Rocky last couple of weeks or months, or you just kind of been popping in every once in a while, and maybe you're thinking about making a, a bigger commitment, going a little bit deeper in the context of community here. We've got our base camp class going to be happening next Sunday uh, after our second service, both, campus, both campuses. And this is the place um, if you've got some questions uh, about church, you've got questions about this church, or you'd like to connect with some of our staff, this is the place you go. And I want to encourage you to go to our website today and you can register for that. And uh, we offer free childcare. You, you, we, we feed you too. I mean, it's a good deal and it's a lot of fun. So anyways, if, you, if, you, if that interests you, uh, we want you to sign up for that next week. And then the other thing is this, we've got a, a team going to Kenya this summer in the month of July. We're really excited about. And we've got another team right now that is, is being formed, that's getting ready to go in the month of October. And we've got an informational meeting. It's going to be happening next Sunday. Again, you can go to our website. It's got the info. But here's the thing. Some of you, even when I just start talking about Kenya, you know there's something that stirs up inside of you and you're like, man, maybe I should go on that trip, but I don't have all the details. And you already start making all these excuses about why you shouldn't go because it's time and it's money, but you don't even have the information. All right. And so you should show up next week. You should go to the meeting and you should get the information that way. Uh, you can make a decision. I'm just telling you this October trip is shaping up to be a really, really fun one. The team is, is coming together. So if that, that interests you, or if that just kind of sparks a, you know, a thought in your head or, or, or your heart, then I want you to go to the meeting next week. Uh, it'll, it'll be awesome. Okay. So go get the information and make a decision. Now, now, talking about decisions, we're in this uh, series called Five Questions That You Need to Ask. And, and, and here's the thing. We, we just believe the premise of this whole series is this, is that better questions lead to better decisions. Better questions lead to better decisions, meaning that if you keep making bad decisions, then you're probably, uh, you're not asking the right 
questions. And so this is why we're going through these five questions. And since we're talking about questions, I got a question for you this morning. This is not the question that we're going to be talking about the rest of the time, but it is a question. All right. It is a question. And it's probably a good question that that we should at least think about a little bit. All right. So here's the question. All right. Why are people who've had too much to drink more likely to make bad decisions? I mean, just think about it for a sec. Why are people who've had too much to drink more likely to make bad decisions? Anybody know? (laughs) Someone said, because they're drunk. (laughs) Because they drank too much. I mean, yes and no. I mean, that's the easy answer. That's the easy answer. But why people who, who have, you know, they've drank too much, why are they more likely to make bad decisions? And some of you, I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? You've, you've been there, you've done that, you've watched somebody else do that, and you've seen somebody else make bad decisions after they've drank too much. I mean, what's the correlation? What's the correlation? How are these things tied together between, you know, drinking too much and making poor decisions? Because, because, you know, as long as I've been in ministry, As far as I know, there's no correlation between alcohol and good decision-making, okay? I mean, I've never had somebody in my office, I've never met with someone, they're like, yo, you know, Matt, I gotta get with you and I need to talk to you about this thing and they're telling me their story and I'm listening to it. I've never heard somebody say something like this. It's a good thing I was drunk. Otherwise, I may have made a really bad decision. Not once. (laughs) Not once. Never heard that before. Man, this is crazy, but I was drinking so much and I had this huge decision to make in the context of my life. And if I wasn't drunk, I probably would have made the wrong decision. Nobody has ever said that. Nobody has ever said that. Okay, so here's what's going on, okay? When it comes to alcohol in your brain, when you drink too much alcohol, it begins to impair the the activity in, in the part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, all right? which is the part of the brain that allows you to think rationally. It, it's almost like God knew like, hey, you're gonna need to help making some decisions. And so he took a part of your brain, he goes, all right, this part is gonna help you think rationally. It's gonna help you make better decisions, but there's an issue here. So it's also the part of the brain that doesn't start working really, really well till you turn like 20 or 21, or for some of you, you'll get there. All right, you're still not there yet, but listen, but listen. <laughs> This is why if you're a parent, and, and I know I kind of, you know, I, I dig at high school students a lot because I got one, about to have another one. But here's the thing, high school students, all right, let me just help you out for a sec. Because man, you are at a disadvantage right now, all right? Because your prefrontal cortex, it is not firing on all cylinders. And I know you think it is. And parents, listen, if you've ever had that moment where you're looking at your kid and you say something like this, right? They did something they shouldn't do. And this is part of your parenting tactics, right? And you go, what were you thinking? You've said that before if you're a parent. What were you thinking? When you did that, what were you thinking? Now, students, listen, I'm gonna give you some advice here. What you should do is look at your mom and dad and go, mom, I hear you, but my prefrontal cortex isn't quite there. I mean, scientifically speaking, I wasn't thinking at all. There you go. And now you're good. (laughs) Until you're 21. And you can start drinking. Okay, so anyways, look. (laughs) Listen, too much alcohol. You know this. We all have this in common. Too much alcohol. I mean, it it frees you up in all the wrong ways. 
You start missing all the social cues that are happening you know, around you and all the internal cues that are happening inside of you, right? Hey, here's the thing, too much alcohol, it makes you brave when you should be cautious. It, it, it makes you loud when you should be quiet. Why are they talking so much? You should be quiet. It makes you move fast when you should slow down. It takes, it takes away your ability to, to reason, to work it out, to make the right choice. Ron White, who's a, he's a comedian. He was arrested one time for public drunkenness. He had this quote. I think it sums it up right. He, goes, he says this, I had the right to remain silent, but I did not have the ability to. <laughs> I knew I should be quiet. Everybody was telling me I should be quiet, and yet I still made the wrong choice. I still made the wrong choice. See, when someone's drunk, they make bad decisions. The part of their brain that helps them make the right decision, it's almost like that switch is turned off. Their conscience, it just kind of goes away. And they're just living it up in the moment. And that person has no idea, which is why some of you who have been drunk before and you got up the next morning, you got to call someone and go, what did I do? What did I say? I can't even remember. I can't even remember. Your decision-making process, you just threw it right out the window. And the reason why we're doing this whole series about you know, better questions so we can make better decisions is this, because every decision you make, come on, you know this, it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect you. We aren't the only people that are impacted by our decisions. So listen, if you're here this morning, I don't even care if you're a Christian or not. I'm just glad that you're here because we all have this one thing in common. Here it is. I hope that at the end of the day, at the end of this year, at the end of your life, I hope that you want to get it right more times than not. I hope you want to live a life that is filled with the least amount of regret possible, which is why we're in this series. Five questions you need to ask. And if you would be willing to ask these questions, you just might be able to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. So here's where we started a couple weeks ago. Week one, we, we asked this first question. It's called the legacy question. And here's the question. What story do I want to tell? In the context of my life, what story do I want to tell? Or you could ask it like this. What story do you want told about you? When you're not here anymore and the people are getting together, what stories do you want people to tell about you? And here's the good news. You get to decide. How you live today will determine the stories that are going to be told about you in the future. So you get to decide. You get to decide. You write the story of your life one decision at a time. And it not, may not feel like every decision has that big of an implication on your life. But I'm telling you, when you take all those decisions together and you lump them up, they become stories that people tell about you. So what story do you want to tell? And then last week, Sean, he talked about the honesty question. It's a question that says this, am I being honest with myself? Because the easiest person to lie to is who? You. Not only were you there for every bad decision that you made, you probably talked yourself into it. We lie to ourselves all the time. And oftentimes we're selling ourselves on something, a decision that we wanna make only to regret that decision later. And so here we are week three. This week we're talking about the third question and we're calling this the conscience question. And here's the question, is there a tension, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that's happening right now that actually deserves more of my attention? 
And, and the reason why I was talking about intoxicated people a couple minutes ago is because folks who drink too much, they lose the ability to pay attention. They lose the ability to pay attention to the external and internal tensions. But if you're here this morning and you're not drunk, good decision. Okay, here's the thing. Talking to a bunch of sober people. Because you might be thinking, well, if you're telling me I only make bad decisions when I'm drunk. No, 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 no. These tensions still exist when you are sober. Your conscience, the prefrontal cortex, it's still turned on. You don't turn it off. But even when it's turned on, we tend to still ignore the tension. Intoxicated people are not aware of it. Sober people ignore it. We ignore it. And we ignore it far too much. So here's the idea of the question. Whenever you're facing a decision of any magnitude in the context of your life, you should ask the question. Is there a tension that, deser that deserves my attention? So if you're like, well, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the moments in life when you're presented with a situation, you have a decision to make, and that you just, you can't always explain it, but there's just something inside of you that's bothering you. There's something about this decision that's bothering you and you don't even know why. You might not even be able to explain it, but there's just something that's happening that is just irritating you and you're just not quite sure that this is the direction you should go. The church I grew up in, or I heard people say this all the time, but they would say something like this. I have a check in my spirit about that. That's the church I grew up in. I have a check in my spirit about that. I can remember my grandpa saying that. I have a check in my spirit about that. There's just something that's, that's not right. There's just something that doesn't seem right about this. I mean, come on, you know what you're talking about. We have these moments all the time. It's that thing inside of you that goes, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about that person or this situation or potentially taking that job or moving here or buying that. I don't know what it is. Don't even ask me any questions because I couldn't even answer them, but there's just something. There's just something about this moment that doesn't seem Right, and the third question for this week would say this, when you find yourself with some tension, you should pause and pay attention to the tension. You should stop and pay more attention. Don't ignore it, don't talk yourself out of it, don't rush by it, instead, let it bother you. Let it bother you. It's not an easy thing to do, especially in the context of the culture we live in because everybody's in a hurry. You're in a hurry, the people around you are in a hurry, your kids are in a hurry, your spouse is in a hurry, the salesperson inside of your head is always in a hurry. You should go now, you should make a decision now, you should buy it now, you should leverage everything for your future now. Now, now, now. Not only do we live in a fast-paced culture, I mean, we tend to think, I, I've thought about this before, we tend to think that the things that are bothering us aren't bothering anybody else. Everyone else seems fine about what you're about to do. So, I mean, it's not illegal, it's not immoral. And yet there's just still something inside of you that goes, man, I, it just doesn't feel right. And I'm just telling you, when you find yourself in that place, you should pay attention to the tension. And then here's this other scenario that all of us have been on both sides of. You've been in this place in your life, you're, you're considering an option, you're right in the middle of making a decision, you think you've got it all figured out, you're excited about it. I mean, there is no tension inside of you at all because you've got it and you're gonna make the move, you're gonna take the job, you're gonna marry this person. I mean, you've got it figured out. And then somebody else rolls in and goes, hey, 
I don't know if you should do that. I mean, moms are great at this, all right? Moms, we love you. Your moms just roll in. It's usually your mom. You're like, mom, this is what I'm thinking about doing. They're like, you're going to do what? Yeah, I was thinking about doing this. And now because they had tension and you didn't have tension, but they had tension, now you have tension because of their tension. And now you're starting to rethink it a little bit, right? It's your mom or your best friend or it's your spouse. Spouses are great at this. You're going to buy what? I don't know if you should do that. I don't know. Yeah, but if I take this job, we're going to be making so much more money. Yeah, but then you're going to be gone like three days of the week. I don't know. See, you are fine with it, but somebody else had the courage to, to bring that tension. They're asking you questions now. Can you afford that? How long will you be gone? What, you know, your friend will goes, hey, what's your wife going to think about that? Or are you sure you should have another drink? I mean, come on, just think about this for a sec. I'm not sure that you're thinking this thing through. Now, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. Man, someone needs to hear this. Here's the problem. Listen, the problem with somebody else bringing the tension to your attention is that it creates relational tension, doesn't it? Look how quiet it is in here. And I was like, I'm, I have no idea what he's talking about. I, my friends are perfect. I never have to tell them anything. No, come on. You know this. You know this. I, I've got some of my kids that are working through this right now. Relational tension. The tension was brought by their friends who, who said something to them that maybe they didn't see or even understand. Brings relational tension, which is why I'm just telling you, one of our values here at Rocky is go together. Because in the context of isolation, you are at a disadvantage because you have blind spots in your life where there should be tension, but, there, but you don't have it. And you need to be asking for it. You need to allow it. You need to free your friends up to come and your spouse and call your mom today and go, mom, what decisions have I made that have been horrible? Tell me. Now you got to learn. She's got a list. You know what I'm saying? You should welcome it. You should welcome the tension that other people will bring to your life. That's an attention that you should pay attention to as well. See, we have a tendency to dodge the truth. When somebody else is bringing truth in our life, we have a tendency to, to dodge it. We, we begin to discount the truth teller. I mean, these people love you. When they show up and they say, hey, here's some tension. I'm not sure you, you see it like this. And, and you go, you walk away and you start saying things like this. Well, what does he know? What does she know? I mean, she, she's never, he's never run a company. He's never been in my position before. He doesn't oversee, you know, 40 people. He's not a pastor. What does he know? I mean, he's coming to me and telling me some things. He, man, they don't even have kids. He just rolled in, going to tell me something about parenting. They don't even have kids. I mean, they're all living that dual income, no kids life. Get out of my face. You know what I mean? You, you start discounting the people around you when they start bringing truth. Why? Because you don't like the information and you definitely don't like where it's coming from. So what do you do? You ignore the information. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, here's the thing. Before you make a decision, before you make a decision, if there's any tension that's inside of you or any tension that somebody brings to you, here's what I think. I think you should pause. I think you should pause and you should allow that tension to bother you either until it goes away or you go in a different direction. I think you should pay attention to the tension. Now, there's a story from the life of King David that I think kind of shows us the importance of paying attention to the tension. If you grew up in church, you may have heard this story before, but I'm telling you, you didn't hear it in all its fullness. I'm glad you're here this morning, all right? So there's this story 
about this guy back in the Old Testament and King David, who before he's king, I mean, way, way before he's king, he grows up as a shepherd boy. That's how we kind of get to know him in the, in the context of the scriptures. And this is crazy, but when David was, was a boy, when David was just a boy, just a shepherd boy, a prophet rolls into his house, gets his family together and he says, hey, um, I'm here to let you know that your son, David, he's been anointed the next king of Israel by God. So good day for those parents. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like your kid who's out there watching sheep right now, God has chosen him to be the next king. Now, the, the problem or the, the tension here is that Israel already had a king and his name was Saul, who at the time wasn't doing a very good job leading the nation of Israel. So God makes a decision to replace King Saul, but not immediately, not right away. So some time goes by and David is now growing up, knowing of this anointing that God has put on his life. And there's a story that many of you heard before. It's called David and Goliath. David, who's still just a young guy, he hears a story about this giant. Nobody will fight the giant. David goes, I'll, I'll fight the giant. He goes and, and not only does he fight the giant, he kills the giant. And I mean, overnight, immediately, David becomes a household name. He's a legend. He's a war hero. I mean, everybody knows him. I mean, you could walk into any house there and you'd be like, hey, you heard of this guy named David. Everybody heard of David. Even the Philistines, the, uh, Israel's enemy, they heard of David. And so it doesn't take long for David to become more popular than King Saul. Happens almost immediately. And so Saul, he becomes jealous of David. He wants to kill David. So David gets out of town and he is literally now a fugitive on the run. He's so well known as this an incredible leader and warrior that, that there are people who follow him to go and live in the, in the wilderness. And he's got his own now small little army. And this is where we pick up with this story. This is 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. So after Saul re returned from pursuing the Philistines, uh, he was told that David, so he's looking for this, he's looking for this dude. David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men with him from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goat. So understand this for a sec. Saul gets some really good intel about where David might be hiding out. So he gets together 3,000 soldiers, which 2,000 years ago in this moment is a ton of men. It's a huge army. I mean, to get 3,000 soldiers together was a huge ordeal. It just re-emphasizes how much Saul wants to kill David. So Saul leads his men into this place called the desert of Engedi. It's just crazy. It's, just, it's a place that's just filled with kind of all these crevices. There's all these caves and it's a beautiful place by the water. But as you get into it, there's all these kind of nooks and crannies. David knows this is where he wants to be because it's such an easy place to hide out in. But Saul gets the news. So he heads down to Engedi because he has heard, he's heard. This is where David's hiding out. He knows David's been anointed king and Saul's got a son named Jonathan and Saul would prefer Jonathan to be the next king. So Saul heads out. So one afternoon, verse three, he came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. So this is the part of the story you probably didn't color in your coloring sheet. Um, <laughs> when you went to church growing up. <laughs> oh, what'd you draw there, Sally? This is Saul taking a poop, mom, in the cave. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't do that one. 
So again, Saul's got his 3,000 guys. They're going through and Gedi. It's filled with all these nooks and crevices and they're just in there. And then, and then Saul's like, Saul, you know, nature calls, right? Saul, you know, the nature calls and, and the king needs to go sit on his throne. See what I did there? I got more if you want more. Okay, so... <laughs> So Saul, it's just real life, you know, it's just real life. So, so Saul, he's got to use the restroom, so he picks the cave. And it just so happens, okay, David also gets intel that Saul is coming through where he's at. So he tells his guys, hey, guys, spread out, go get in all these caves. Once Saul's army, you know, once he comes through, we'll, we'll get out of here. So they're all in different caves. And wouldn't you know that of all the caves that Saul could pick, he picks the one that David is in. He picks the cave where, where David and some of his guys are hiding. And just think about this for a second. I mean, David's on the run. The king, I mean, the most powerful person on the planet is after him. He wants him dead. And they're in this cave. Can you imagine David in the cave? He knows the army's coming through. They can hear them coming from miles away. There's 3,000 of them. So they ditch in this cave and they're kind of peeking out and they can see Saul and for some reason now, Saul's getting closer to them. And so they begin backing up in the cave. And now they, you know, they're kind of, it's getting darker and darker where, where David's getting. And they're looking to the front of the cave and they can see Saul walking into the cave. I mean, the adrenaline has to be pumping. I mean, they've got to be thinking, this is it. You know, this is over. Are you kidding me? You know, they're probably having a conversation with God. God, are you serious? There's, there's a million caves. And this dude has got to come in our cave. I mean, they've got to be dreading because they're just thinking, this is it. This is it. And Saul begins to walk into the cave. And David and his men, they're thinking, this is over. But then something interesting happens. Saul doesn't walk all the way in. He just walks enough of the way into the cave. So he's got a little privacy from all the people that are outside the cave. And instead of continuing to walk forward towards David and his men, he turns around and squats <laughs> and pulls down his pants. And now these guys are thinking, what an opportunity. We thought we were going to be goners. And now look at this guy. Wow, God, thank you. Holy cow. We thought we were about to be dead, and now God has given us the king. Of all the caves that he could choose, he chose this cave. That dude had to, you know, he had some bad go or something. Now he's hanging out in this cave, and he literally has his back turned towards us. God, thank you. Thank you. Verse 4, the men said, and they're whispering, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David, <laughs> David, listen, this is the time. This is what God, this is what he said. Listen, it is time to kill the king. You should kill the king before the king kills you, David. This is crazy. Of all the caves where he had to relieve himself, he chose this cave. This is God. But David felt some tension. I mean, it looks like this is, this is how the story should go. I mean, what's the odds of all the caves that Saul would pick this one? And yet David felt some tension. He felt enough tension that he gave it some attention. Something was bothering him in this 
moment. And here's what I begin to wonder. I wonder if David kind of goes back to week one and he starts thinking, what story do I want to tell? I mean, he's still a pretty young guy and he's got to be thinking, listen, when I'm, when I'm old and I'm looking back and I'm telling stories to my grandkids about how I became king, is this the story that I want to tell my grandkids? Grandkids, your grandpa is so brave. When the king was taking a poop, I killed him. Was he looking at you, grandpa? No. He was midwife. I got him. <laughs> wow, grandpa, you're so brave. Come on, is that the story? Wasn't in battle. You weren't a fierce warrior in the moment. You took advantage of an opportunity. And you don't even really know why it's there or who gave it to you. But there's something inside of David in this moment that's bothering him. Here's what I know. One of the reasons we ignore the tension when making a decision, or we ignore the advice of, of other people, when we want to make the decision we want to make is because here's the thing. We believe that Whatever decision we want to make, even in the midst of tension, we think we already know what the outcome will be. We think that we can already predict the outcome. Well, if I don't kill him now, when am I going to be able to kill him? So this must be the right decision. Is it? I mean, this is the only way that I can become king. Now David would start lying to himself. I mean, if I don't kill him now, I may never become king. So this has to be it. I mean, I, I have to do this now. Yeah, but is that the story you want to tell? I don't know if this is the story I want to tell. But if you don't kill him now, then when are you going to become king? Well, I don't know. But I can predict the future because if I kill him right now, I surely will become king. See, a lot of times we, we ignore the tension because we think we've already got the future figured out. Raise of hands. How many of you have ever made a decision in the context of tension only to regret it later on? Everybody in the room? Yeah. Ever been disappointed? Ever been disappointed with the decision you made? You know why you're disappointed? Because you predicted the outcome of your decision, but it didn't come true. Welcome to Christmas morning. <laughs> You've got an idea of how this should all work out. Your kids have been thinking, if I just can get this gift, my life will be perfect. And then they open it up and they play with it for five minutes and they're on to the next thing. Right? We predicted the outcome. This is how it'll work out, so this is the decision I'm gonna make. But is there tension? Yeah, there is, but I've gotta do it. This is the only way. This is the only way we're gonna to get to the outcome that I want. Disappointment is when we just mispredict the future. There's gotta be so much going on in the heart and the mind of David. And yet, David gets to this place, I think through asking some questions, where he goes, I can't kill the king. I can't kill the king, even if the king wants to kill me. I can't kill the king. Keeps going, look, then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe, just cuts off a little piece. Verse five, and afterwards, just cutting off a little piece, afterwards, David was conscience stricken. Didn't even kill him. Just cut off a piece of his robe. And yet something was going on. There was a tension inside of him. Why? Because he cut off a corner of his robe and he said to his men, guys, listen, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. See, I didn't make that guy king. God made that guy king. 
or lay my hand on him for he's the anointing of the Lord. Then, which I would think one of his guys said, well, then let me do it. I'll kill him. Verse seven, David says, well, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul and Saul left the cave and went his way. See, David came to this Saul, Saul, I, I will not, I will not leverage your bad behavior as an excuse to do something bad to you. I know it was set up like I could, but I chose not to because I didn't put you in your position. God did. And if God put you in position, then I'll let God take you out. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, Saul. But my hand, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to wait. See, I stopped and I thought this one through because I had attention. And I'm going to wait and I'm going to allow God to determine the outcome. Saul finishes his business. He walks outside of the cave. David's got a little piece of Saul's robe. The Bible says that David will exit the cave holding the piece of Saul's robe. Saul's already back down on his donkey or horse, whatever he's riding. And Saul goes like, woohoo, you know, does one of them deals. And Saul looks back and David begins to say to to, to Saul. Saul essentially gives this big speech. You can go read it uh, in 1 Samuel, but essentially here's what I think David says. Saul, I thought it through. I will not be like you, Saul. I won't be like you. I almost made a decision though that would have been a decision that you would have made because here's what I think, Saul, that if you were me and I was you, about 10 minutes ago, I would be dead, but I thought it through. There was some tension inside of me, and so I decided, no. Saul, I'm gonna tell a different story. I will not be like you. You know how the story works out? Saul, who's probably embarrassed, is a bit humiliated, probably humbled. What's he do? He can't go up there and kill David. So he tells his guys, his 3,000 soldiers, boys, let's go home. It's over. And he goes home. And maybe in that moment, David is thinking, I wonder if I made the right decision. See, we know how the story goes because just a couple of chapters later, Saul, who's in battle, is struck by an arrow. And then Saul makes a decision, refuses to become a war prisoner, the Bible says he falls on his own sword and he dies. And David will become king without killing the king. See, it would have been easier probably in the moment for David in the cave if he knew how the story worked out and yet he didn't. But there was still some tension inside of him. I said, don't do it. And he's got his guys around going, do it. I can't do it. David, God, God ordained this. I don't think he did. Well, if you don't kill him now, David, when are you gonna become king? I don't know. David, we are tired of living in caves and being on the run. If you kill this guy, we could be in the palace by morning. I hear you. But boys, this is my decision. And I'm deciding 
not to kill the king. David made the right decision at the right time, lived a better story, refused to lie to himself, didn't predict the future, instead allowed the tension to allow him to go in a different direction. Listen, come on, I'm just curious. You know it's true. You know it's true. We've all been there. You've got decisions to make this week. And every decision you make is being combined to form the story of your life. And some of the biggest decisions you're gonna make in your lifetime, I guarantee you there will be tension. There'll be tension. And here's what I'm suggesting, that before you make the decision, you should give that tension your attention. You should wait. You should stop trying to predict the future and maybe become aware that God is doing something in you right now that you should pay attention to. You don't even know why that tension's there, but it's there. And what if, what if, what if the tension's there to protect you, to lead you, to guide you to a different story that's gonna be far better than the story you're gonna tell if you decide to rush right through that tension and make a decision. Now, here's the other thing. Young people, look up here. I was just talking to someone on our staff the other day, one of our young guys on staff. He's thinking about this message and I said to him something like this, what are you gonna do when you have decided that you're gonna go this way, you're gonna be with this person, you're gonna take this job, what are you gonna do when you wanna make a decision and everybody in your life is saying, don't do it. How are you gonna be smart enough to listen to the tension that they are bringing to your attention? Do you trust the people around you enough that you might even allow their tension to creep in and become your tension? If there is something that's bothering you right now in your life, let it bother you. And until you get clarity, until the tension is resolved, until you come to a conclusion that you're gonna go the other way, sit in that tension. Sit in that tension. And one day, one day, far from now, when you're nowhere to be found, people will circle up and they'll tell a story about a guy who was anointed to be king, who could have, who could have killed the king. And yet he didn't. It's a better story. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, pray that you would help us, help us. Busy people moving fast making all kinds of decisions every single day. And Father, we're guilty of probably even making decisions in the midst of tension, but time's ticking and we gotta keep going. And Father, I pray that this morning that we would be a church that is smart enough, that's wise enough to pay attention to the tensions. When everybody's moving forward, we go, oh, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure if this is the right way to go. I'm not sure if this is the decision I should make. And so because I've got tension, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna wrestle. I'm gonna let this thing bother me until I understand why. So I can find clarity to make the wise choice. Gotta pray for the person in the room this morning who's wrestling with all kinds of decisions, financial, relational for the person in the room who's thinking I'm done with this relationship. Father, I pray the tension inside of them would bother them, that they would pause. For the person even right now who's dealing with the big life decision, I pray that they would pay attention to the tension. And God, would you help us people who have incredible relationships and friends, would we welcome the tension from the people that we do life with? That when we don't see it in the midst of our blind spots, that we would listen to the tension that people bring into our lives so that we might get it right and live a life with fewer regrets. Father, we love you. We thank you for the example that you've given to us through the life of David. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.